Amen. Good singing this morning. Just go ahead and remain standing. All right, let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Isaiah this morning. The book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 once again. Isaiah chapter 53. Over the last several weeks, we've been uh, in this uh, same portion of Scripture, getting ready for the Easter service. So Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to go ahead and begin reading in verse number 1. So Isaiah chapter 53 And verse number one, the Bible says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men and a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for the testimony of our Messiah. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son to be the Savior of the world. And Father, I pray now that you would just be with the service this morning. I pray, Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as their personal Savior, you'd cause them to see their need this morning Lord, we just thank you and we praise you now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. As we continue to prepare for Easter Sunday, we're considering just a few of the 24 predictions that Isaiah made about the Messiah, who we believe to be Jesus of Nazareth. And we looked at these uh, 24, and actually we didn't go through all of them, But uh, the very first service, when we started this series, we read the entire portion and just keyed in on just a few. And and now we're just doing, uh, picking uh, one uh, and doing an entire uh, service on it. You know, it's interesting that Isaiah made these predictions some 700 years before Jesus was even born. Being led by the Holy Spirit of God, Isaiah hit each one of them right on the head. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.21 that the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And we can certainly see that in the case of Isaiah. Over the last two weeks, we focused on two predictions that Isaiah made and explained why they apply to Jesus. First, we looked at the prediction that Isaiah made in which he essentially said the Messiah would be considered insignificant, or to put it in modern-day terms, non-essential. We read that in Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 2, and on down. 
Verse number three says he's despised, he's rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, we asked, how could the Savior, literally God in the flesh, be considered insignificant? And of course, we gave the three following reasons. Number one, because he was a servant. Verse number 13 of Isaiah chapter 52 says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. Jesus said, even as the Son of Man came not to serve or be ministered unto, but to minister or to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. We looked at the examples of rulers in the past and even rulers in the present. We know from those examples, rulers, they do not serve. They're supposed to, but they certainly do not. Jesus, however, came and was a servant. Also, he succumbed to infancy, childhood, as well as the weakness of the flesh. Number three, he sacrificed. And so, three reasons why he was considered to be insignificant. Last week, we looked at the silent Messiah. Verse 7 says that he was oppressed in our our, uh, portion of Scripture here. Isaiah 53, verse number 7. He was oppressed... And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And so we looked at the reasons why he would be silent. And of course, those three reasons were, number one, because of the final revelation. And I'm not going to explain all these. You have to, if you were not here, you have to go, go to YouTube and look at last week's message to get the entire thing. But the final revelation the total salvation, and then, of course, the thorough vindication. And we looked at all those last week. This morning, I want us to consider that not only did Isaiah predict the death of the Messiah, the Bible says he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. It's interesting that that term is used, that his death would be like that of a lamb. Each one of the Gospels confirms this analogy. Mark wrote that they led him out to crucify him. That would be like a, like a lamb being led out. The Bible tells us in, in, uh, also in the book of Luke, and as they led him away, of course, to be crucified. John's account says, Then delivered Pilate unto him, uh, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus, and they led him away. You know, who could have guessed Jesus was the ruler of all creation that he'd be led like a lamb to the slaughter, led like a lamb to be crucified. It's interesting when you consider Jesus was the ruler of all creation, or should I say is the ruler of all creation. Proverbs chapter 30 verse number 4 says that he gathereth the wind in his fists. We were just talking about this last night, how that just a gust of wind can cause so much damage and is so beyond our control. How powerful it can be. I have a a sister-in-law who used to live in Missouri, and she told us one time that they had a tornado that actually came over their house, and they had kind of a, a bunker in the middle of the house. All the houses there do, And uh, she said that as they were inside there, that literally sounded like a freight train was going through their home. It was just an extremely scary thing. And yet the Bible says about our 
uh, our creator, our savior, that he gathereth the winds in his fist. That's power. He hath bound the waters in his garments. Boy, another powerful force on this planet. If you ever watched the videos of some of those uh, tidal waves and the, the destruction that they leave in their wake or, or some of these flash floods and how that they'll carry buildings and, and houses and things in that, that nature. Yet Proverbs 34 says that he gathereth the wind in his fist. He hath bound the waters in his garment and hath established all the ends of the earth. My, when you consider that, it's amazing that he's being led like a lamb to the slaughter. We also see Jesus during his ministry, his earthly ministry, rebuke the winds and the sea, and the Bible says there was a great calm. Matthew eight twenty seven revealed that his disciples marveled at this when they witnessed it. And they exclaimed, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Yet at his death, he's being led to the crucifixion like a lamb. During his life, Mark 3 says that Jesus was a carpenter. Though many of the pictures we see painted of Jesus portray him as a weak and almost sickly looking uh, man, this was a man who for 17 years had cut and shaped wood, chiseled stone, carried beams, and was likely pretty well built. John records in John 2 verse number 13 that Jesus single-handedly made a, made a scourge of small cords and drove out the money changers that were in the temple. Hey, this, was a, this was a physical specimen. He was a carpenter. And the Bible says that when he went into the temple and he saw that they had made it into a marketplace rather than the place of worship that it should have been, a place that they were disrespecting instead of a place where there should have been respect, the Bible says that he made, uh, he grabbed some small cords and made whips out of them and he walked into there and he drove all the money changers out, these businessmen, He drove them all out. He overturned their tables. He threw out everything. And as they were running, he said, Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And no one argued. This was a carpenter. This was a man. This was not the sissy man you see painted. This was a man's man. For the disciples who witnessed Jesus' physical strength and his miraculous power, it must have puzzled them to watch him being led away like a lamb to the slaughter. They had seen his his miraculous power. They had seen his physical strength. It's no no wonder that when they came to arrest him, the first thing that Peter did or his first reaction was to pull out the sword and say let's fight we've got Jesus and Jesus said no put away thy sword it puzzled them and they watched Jesus willingly being led like a lamb to these these mock trials and then they watched him be led like a lamb to his crucifixion. 
puzzling, startling. And yet, seven centuries before, Isaiah said he'd be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Why? Well, I want to give you this morning three reasons. Three reasons that Jesus was led like a lamb. And why he was so lamb-like when he gave his life. Reason number one is because the lamb is a symbol of substitution. The lamb is a symbol of substitution. You know, it's interesting, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking many times when you think of a substitute, you think of something that is, well, not quite sufficient, not quite the original. Remember how we used to torture substitute teachers when they would come into class? They don't know what's going on, and so maybe we can lead this teacher astray. We might just have a free day today. Well, that's not the way that our teacher did it. And that's, uh, our teacher never gives homework. It was always our goal to dupe the substitute. But when it came to Jesus being the substitute or the lamb being the symbol of the substitute, uh, it was a good thing. You see, in the beginning, man required a substitute. Our story begins beautifully with God creating the heaven and the earth and filling them with all the things necessary for us to live happily and freely. By happily, we mean that God placed the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden. But just when you hear that word Eden, you think happy, you think peace, and it's everything that it should have been. God gave them a perfect place, incomparable prestige. God created man in his likeness and image and told him to subdue the world and have dominion over every living thing, according to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. So in other words, God gave them a perfect place. God gave man prestige, and he gave him a fulfilling purpose He didn't just twiddle his thumbs in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that he was to to manage it. He was to keep it. So God gave man everything man needs. A place, prestige, purpose. It was perfect. That's what we mean by happily. By freely. We see that God did not expect the first man and woman to be robots. He wanted the first man and woman to have a relationship with God. Thus, there was placed in the garden a tree that they were not to eat of. You hear all the time, well, you know, God should have never put that in there. By putting that in there, he just assured that they would go after it. You know, Genesis 2.16 says that the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. This actually represented man's freedom. Understand this, that if the tree of knowledge of good and evil wasn't there, man would have had no choice but to serve God, and that would make man a robot. 
But God made man with a free will. We do not have, uh, we don't have instincts like animals. We make choices like men, like women. If there's no choice, it's no relationship at all. Why do we celebrate marriage anniversaries? My, you've been married for 30 years. You've been married for 40 years. We celebrate them because there's a choice. There are choices. You know why you ought to be thankful for your wife? Because you're not the only man on this planet. You know why you ought to be thankful for your husband? Because you're not the only woman on this planet. Your husband chose you. That makes you special. Now, if there were no choice, and no choice is, it wouldn't be such a big deal, would it? We've often heard, well, I wouldn't marry you if you were the last man on earth. I wouldn't marry you if you were the last woman on earth. Well, guess what? If there were no others, you'd probably have no choice. But we have choices. And that's what makes the relationship special. Well, God says, there's your choice. You can choose not to serve me. Now, there are consequences that come with that choice. But you do have that choice. If the choice was not there, then we're robots. We celebrate marriage because they are a testament to those who choose to stay in a relationship so long. There are other choices. In Genesis chapter 3, we see man making the choice, prompted by Satan to get out of this great relationship he has with God. Man, God had a great relationship with God. The Bible says that God would come in the cool of the day and they'd fellowship together. Maybe it was, maybe it was some kind of a family dinner. I don't know. Maybe God would come and they would set the table of all the fruits and the vegetables because we know they didn't eat meat at that time. Sin hadn't entered the world. And they would just talk. They would just commune. What a great relationship. As a matter of fact, God and Adam had such a great relationship that when God wanted the animals to be, to be named, he brought them, he, he created them, and he brought them to Adam and said, Adam, well, what do you think we ought to name this one? And Adam, the Bible says, whatever Adam named the animals, that was the name thereof. What a relationship that they had. And then when he created Eve... He would come and talk to them in the cool of the day. You had to think they looked forward to it. Well, it's getting about that time. God's coming. Hey, let's get, let's, let's get the hors d'oeuvres out. Let's, let, let's prepare the, uh, the, the, the snacks. God's coming. Man, what are you going to ask him today? What are we going to talk about tonight? Remember last night, we talked about, we talked till three in the morning. God's coming. But one day, man made a choice 
to get out of that relationship. Prompted by Satan, man became a sinner. Innocence was gone. He became aware of his sin. He added to the sin by trying to cover it up, trying to hide, and then by trying to blame someone else. Remember how that happened? Remember how that uh, uh, they, they ate of the uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the Bible says they saw that they were, that they were naked, so they went and they got fig leaves. Well, let's, just, let's try to cover this up. And then, well, that doesn't, that's not very well. And, and instead of looking forward to God that evening, they were dreading it. They were looking at the clock, looking at the minutes, looking at the hours, and oh no, it's only three hours before God comes. Oh, it's only two hours before God comes. Man, the time is flying. We've only got five minutes. What are we going to do? And Adam says, hide, let's get out of here. And the Bible says they heard God coming in the cool of the day. And they thought they could hide from God, just like man thinks he can hide from God today. And then the excuses. Oh, but, 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 but God, we were naked. Really? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I forbid you to eat of? Did you choose to end this relationship? Did you cheat on me? She made me do it. It's her fault, God. And then what did she say? The, servant, the serpent made me do it. The devil made me do it. She originated that phrase. The devil made me do it. But it was too late. God's remedy, first of all, was to promise a Savior. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, Satan, God addresses Satan. He says, I'm going, to be, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman. By the way, you know this fear that most women have of snakes is a natural fear? He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Wait a minute. Women don't have seed. You know, there's only been one man born in the history of the world without the aid of a man. That's Jesus Christ. Her seed. Between thy seed and her seed, it, the seed of the woman, is going to bruise thy head, a fatal blow. When Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again, fatal blow to Satan, fatal. It bruised his heel, but that you can heal from, (laughs) pardon the pun. I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, between thy seed, Satan, and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. That's the first promise of the Savior. So that was God's first remedy. 
second remedy, not only to the promise of a Savior, but to provide a temporal substitute. In other words, man must now pay for his sins. Those sins need to be covered. So what did God do in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 21, after promising a Savior? The Bible tells us that unto Adam also and to his wife, in Genesis 3.21, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. The word skin in the text means hide, leather, animal skin. You don't skin an animal alive. Remember, God said on the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But on that day, guess what died? Animals. Now, Adam and Eve died spiritually, and they would die physically. But immediately, there was a substitute. And it was these animals. And I've often thought to myself, many, many think that Abel was the first death in the Bible. Actually, no, it was these animals. How horrifying it must have been for Adam and Eve to know that their sin brought about the death, and now they must wear the skins of these innocent animals. By the way, we've been, we've been wearing leather ever since. An animal was killed to cover man's nakedness. He was killed in the place of a man. The animal's life was the substitute for their sin. The lamb would become that symbol of substitution. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. We don't know what animal was killed there in the Garden of Eden, but we know that through the process of time, the lamb would become that symbol of substitution. In the book of Exodus in chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, this is... uh, this is the final plague of Egypt. This is as, the, as God is preparing to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. And the Bible tells us in, in uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse number 2, God speaks to Israel or to Moses, who would relay this to Israel. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. So in Exodus chapter 12, we read the account of God instituting the Passover for Israel. Verse number four, if the household be too too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Sin brought about death. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
So in Exodus chapter 12 here, we have the Passover for Israel. On the 10th day of the first month, their year a lamb, uh, uh, of that first year, a lamb was chosen from the goats or the sheep. They were to guard it. They were to watch it. And they were to do it until the 14th day. They were to examine it. And if, the, if that, that lamb met all the qualifications on the evening of the 14th, they were to kill it. The explanation was it was the lamb or the firstborn in every house. Either the lamb dies or the firstborn in every house dies. Every house in Egypt that did not have a substitutionary lamb would experience the death of the firstborn because they refused the substitute. Their sins had not been paid for by the lamb, thus death was the result. The wages of sin is death. So for the next 1,400 years from Exodus chapter 12 on, on the same day of the month, every Israelite was to bring a lamb into their home, keep it up until the 14th day, sacrifice the Passover lamb to cover their sins. Isaiah would reveal that the real lamb was the Messiah. He'd be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And so the Passover lamb was to remind them that, that the Messiah is coming. And the Lamb became the symbol of substitution. John chapter 1, verse number 29, we see it was revealed Jesus was that substitutionary Lamb. All the lambs pointed to this Lamb, and they were the symbol. John 1, 29, the next day, John the Baptist seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. All those other lambs pointed to this one. In John 1.35, again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus would be led away as a lamb because he is our substitute. The lamb is the symbol of, of substitution. But there's a second reason that Jesus was led away as a lamb. Not only because the lamb is the symbol of substitution, but number two, the lamb is the symbol of spotlessness. The lamb is the symbol of spotlessness. Understand this, when man chose to get out of the relationship with God, he chose sin. He chose spots. He chose to be, uh, well, to be defiled. God wanted so much better for man. But the lamb has become the symbol of spotlessness. Exodus chapter 12, verse number 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Spotless. To match the lamb's innocence. Lambs are the symbol of innocence. As the dad would bring the lamb into the house on the 10th day of the month. And they would guard that lamb. And they would watch that lamb. They, lamb, they would inspect that lamb. As the Bible says they'd keep it up until the 14th day of the month. 
And then on the 14th day, dad would take it out. And, you know, we like to Americanize our stories. Kids perhaps would name that lamb. Oh, dad brought a lamb into the house. We're going to call it Snowball. Well, Israelites probably had never seen a snowball before, being in Egypt. But then on that 14th day, dad takes that lamb out. And dad proceeds to kill Snowball. And perhaps the kids who became attached to Snowball are wondering, what did Snowball do? And we know the answer, Snowball didn't do anything. Snowball is just an innocent lamb. Well, then why does Snowball have to die? Because, son, if Snowball doesn't die, you'll die. If I'm the firstborn, I'll die. Every firstborn in this household will die. By the way, that also went to the beasts. If you had a dog that was a firstborn, it would die. Regardless. And so this lamb is our substitute. This lamb dies in our place, not because this lamb did anything, but because this lamb is innocent. He's spotless. By the way, Jesus is that spotless lamb. Dying in our stead, he knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he knew no sin and he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He's our substitute because he's spotless. No one else could die on the cross in my place because we're all sinners, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. You've often heard people say, well, nobody's perfect. You're absolutely right. And that's the problem. God made us that way, but we chose another direction. But Jesus came and he lived the perfect life, the spotless Lamb of God. And as, and as John would, would, would point out on that afternoon, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He could. Because he was without sin. Hebrews 4.15 says, We have not an high priest, talking about Jesus, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We always have excuses for our sin, don't we? Oh, I, I was tempted. Oh, I couldn't help myself. Or the one we like to use today, I was born this way. We always have excuses for our sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in all ways like as we are. Just as we're tempted, he was tempted, yet he yielded not to temptation. Yet without sin. Oh, why like a lamb? Because a lamb's a symbol of substitution. Why was Jesus led away like a lamb to the slaughter? Because the lamb is a symbol of spotlessness. And then number three in the last one this morning, because the lamb is a symbol of salvation. The lamb is a symbol of salvation. 
God promised in the book of Exodus chapter 12 that when a household did as they were commanded. Let's go ahead and look. Verse number 6 of Exodus chapter 12. God said that this lamb that you've taken, this male lamb, without spot, without blemish, that you've taken on the 10th day of the month and you've kept it to the 14th day of the month, you've guarded it, you've watched it, you have uh, examined it. The Bible says in verse number uh, 6, you shall keep it until the 14th day, Exodus 12, 6, the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat. Bible goes on and, and talks about how that they were to, to eat it. And then in verse number 11, I'm sorry, verse number 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. I'll smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So not only was the lamb a substitute, not only was the lamb spotless, but when the blood was applied to the posts of the door, the lamb was their salvation. They were saved by the blood of the lamb, as we like to sing. Thus salvation was the result. The lamb was sacrificed the lamb's blood placed on the doorposts. And as God passed through, my, when he saw the blood, he'd pass over. When there was no blood, he'd pass through. Thus salvation was the result. Isaiah 53, verse number 5, back to our text. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, this great statement is made, Neither is there salvation in, in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Why was Jesus the creator, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who the book of Proverbs says holds the winds in his fists, he keeps the waters in his garment, by him all things were made, uh, were made that, that, that are made. That he is the sustainer of life. Even in his physical life, he was a strong man. Why would he be led without a fight? Why be led like a lamb? 
Well, because the lamb was the, it was the symbol of substitution. Jesus took our place. It was the symbol of spotlessness. He could take our place because he was without sin. The lamb is the symbol of salvation. By giving his life, by living a life without sin, he brings salvation to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed.